Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Sharita and Anthony Thompson. With their story, we will hear about obstetric violence. We know from spoken and unspoken stories that this happens in many forms in both public and private care sectors. These acts of violence always have an impact, and one way that it showed up for Sharita and Anthony is that Anthony missed the birth of their daughter. We are thankful to hear their truth today. So hello, Sharita and Anthony. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. As you said, we're Sharita and Anthony Thompson. Um, You know, just a little background on us. We currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, We are the owners of Parent Epiphany and Doulas of Phoenix. So we'll um, add this a little later, but, you know, part of my journey and experiences have led me to become a certified doula, um, as well as a certified hypnobirthing educator. So, um, you know, I think through pain and challenges, there can be growth and, you know, different paths that we end up taking. Um, So I'm very appreciative of my experiences, right, good and bad. Um, And then we just wanted to share that we are also parents to two beautiful children, aged three and a half and 15 months. Uh, And we're all currently self-isolating at home uh, and working and taking care of our kids. So if you're also in that, we hear you. We're in the struggle and, you know, taking it day by day. And Sharita, as you talk about your work as a doula now, um, how has that shifted in this time period with dealing with COVID? Yeah, so I'm currently not actually practicing, um, like actively practicing, but I will say that um, I always believed in virtual support in some form and the right the current circumstance dealing with a pandemic dealing with COVID-19 has just like strengthened my belief in virtual support and I'm currently working on an online course to offer uh, parents through pregnancy postpartum and parenthood um, so I, I very strongly believe in like virtual connections that deep connections can be made virtually and really exploring that yeah, it, I, it's, um, I think one thing that this has showed us, this time period has really showed us is how more accessible we can be and how we can't be accessible all at the same time. And I think really opening people's eyes um, and work into like, how can we shift, that it's possible to shift in these ways and provide families with support in multiple ways. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And I actually had a girlfriend recently. It was so funny when my son was born in 2016, I wanted a virtual uh, baby shower. And so when I saw her recently, she was like, oh my gosh, you're paving the way. I just went to a virtual shower. And I was like, yes, back in 2016, I was a pioneer. So, you know, and again, it's very, it's very doable. Um, And I think, you know, even despite like the pandemic, like families are all over the country and all over the world. And so how can we connect on a different level? Um, I know that we've been able to connect with our families who don't live in Arizona with us weekly. We're able to connect with them in ways that like we haven't before, um, which truly has been a blessing. For sure. For sure. Well, Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Yeah, definitely. So I will say, I'm sort of going to back it up. So our daughter was born March 2019. Our son was born back in November of 2016. And I would say with his birth, I had... um, I had a vision, right? I wanted to have an unmedicated, quote unquote, natural birth. And so I knew those things were what I wanted. I actually really wanted a water birth as well. In the state of Arizona, um, you cannot have a water birth in a hospital setting, which is where I also knew I was going to be birthing. So they call it water labor. You can labor in the tub, but once it's time to deliver your child or birth your child, you need to exit the, the, the tub. And so 
right, I had this vision. I wanted to give a natural, like I said, unmedicated birth. And, but what I didn't realize, and this is how hypnobirthing plays into it, is you really need to be mentally prepared uh, to do that, right? There's sort of mental <laughs> preparation that goes into that um, because giving birth is not easy. Laboring is not easy or, and it actually, it can be easy for some people, but I would say the majority of people, right? It's labor. It's something that like you, it's prolonged and you have to sort of work at it. And so when I heard about hypnobirthing, I was like, this is the perfect tool for me to use. Um, and to get mentally prepared. And for those who aren't uh, familiar with hypnobirthing, it is a childbirth education program that incorporates deep relaxation, visualization, meditation techniques. Um, all of those things I felt helped me prepare for the birth of our child. And I also would say one of the things Anthony and I did doing the program was it's really about bonding with your baby while they're in utero and with your partner. And so we were really able to do that. And um, Anthony can also speak to this, but, you know, we struggled, I would say, emotionally as our relationship changed while I was pregnant. And so I think having hypnobirthing, like have us help us examine our relationship and like what it what it currently was and what it could potentially be helped us in the long run to be stronger parents and um, like a stronger couple. Um, so that was one thing that I did and you know envisioned during my pregnancy was hypnobirthing. That was like fundamental. Um, the other thing that I did way back then, and I did with my my child recently, our second child was I had a birth doula. So, and I think, you know, oftentimes a lot of people say, what is a birth doula? And your audience, you know, obviously is more familiar with that. But for those who aren't, you know, they are a supportive person while you, during your pregnancy and your labor. And when I first heard of a birth doula, I, I mean, I didn't know what, what, what it was. Um, and so as we were learning about the doula role and hypnobirthing, it felt very much like something that I wanted to do, that the extra support um, would be very important to me. And I actually had a discussion with my midwife who recommended that I also bring on a doula. Um, I think a lot of birthing parents don't realize that their doctor, right, the person that they've seen for eight or nine months is not going to be with them the entire time while they labor. And so our doula was that person for us. My husband was working, had a job. And so there was, I felt like a security in knowing we could call the doula or even text her and that she would be like able to respond, come to the hospital, whatever the case was. Um, so having a birth doula for both pregnancies also was, was, was great. Um, at the end of my first pregnancy, I ended up having high blood pressure. And thankfully at that time, I did not have to go on any medication. Uh, but when, during my second pregnancy, because of my history, my care provider had me do a low dosage of ibuprofen. And um, I actually had bought a uh, blood pressure cuff, an at-home blood pressure cuff during my first pregnancy that I still had that I also used during my second pregnancy just to monitor the, um, the readings or whatnot, the, my blood pressure. And so I was doing those things and at one point realized my, my high blood pressure was returning much earlier within the second pregnancy, which was causing alarm to myself, but to my mother, who actually is a high risk, retired high risk obstetrician. And I am so grateful that I had her on my side because she was able to provide questions that I could offer to my care provider and say, right, my readings are really high. Is there anything that I should be doing? Um, should I get a, a BPP? 
um, which is the, uh, I can't remember the exact name off the top of my head, but it's the, the profile, right? The testing to measure the baby's growth and all those good things. And when my mom recommended that, uh, it was, I want to say it was about 34 weeks into my pregnancy. So I'd been measuring it up at, at that time. My care provider actually hadn't, um, read any of my readings, my at-home readings, um, which was like concern number one. And the readings were high, like I said, but the readings in the office were low. Like it was a very strange thing. I felt like they almost didn't believe me what I was saying. Um, and, you know, my mom was, was concerned. And so she asked me to have them run this test, which they refused to do. And so at that point, I decided to change care providers. Um, I was seeing uh, an obstetrician and then I switched to midwives who uh, actually I had during my first pregnancy with my son and they immediately took my readings from home like evaluated that they were high, <laughs> like talked about having an induction at 37 weeks. Um, like they took it very seriously, which I, I affirmed, right, my uh, beliefs, my mom's beliefs, and like this was a very serious thing that was going on. And like we, I had to do, uh, you know, preventative measures. Um, and so I had an induction scheduled at 37 weeks which was scary. I think any time that, you know, you're before your due date. And uh, I also had an induction with my son. So, you know, the, there wasn't sort of an element of surprise, but, you know, it's just like an added, right, added intervention and added thing um, that maybe you don't necessarily plan for, <laughs> you know. Um, and again, just like, being more early, that meant like taking more time off of work or, you know, whatever that meant. And so those plans had to be worked on. Um, so we, so we did that. Um, I felt good in my decision to change care providers at that time. Like I said, I, I felt like they were, you know, taking it seriously. Um, and I'm trying to think if I wanted to add anything else there. No. I think that's, that's good. Up until the pregnancy, I can go into the birth experience. Well, we can um, just kind of think about some of the things that you did as you were preparing for this birth. I know you talked about hypnobirthing. Anthony, was there anything that you were doing in this time too? I mean, I know some things you were doing along with her, but were there things that were unique to you during this preparation phase as a father? Um doing anything and everything that I could to be uh, supportive of her. Um, you know, like Sharita had said, is that I was working. So having our doula there was very beneficial. Um, but we would do, um, I apologize, my, my memory is a little hazy, but I, I want to say it was every other week we were doing classes with our doula who would come to our house. And they were about, I would say, two hours long, give or take. Um, I would go through and try to just help Sharita in any way that I could, reminding her, hey, have you taken your ibuprofen? Have you checked your blood pressure? Um, let's try to have you relax and, and let me set up a, a music playlist, um, drawing a, a bath of water for her, um, you know, going and creating unique meal plans that try to lower uh, the blood pressure by, you know, lowering uh, sodium intake, eating better uh, fruits and vegetables, that sort of thing. So it was, for me, a very support role in making sure that she was on top of things the best that she could be, as well as making sure that, you know, she was well taken care of as best as I could. Yeah, I'll add that, like, I feel, you know, very... Um... I feel very supported, right? Like I, I feel like Anthony and I can come together and come up with a plan and say, like he can think of so many more things <laughs> than I can think about, right? And sort of plan for like, uh, you know, things that I don't even consider. And so I'm so appreciative of that and thinking about all the things so that I wouldn't necessarily have to think about them. 
Um, you know, whether that was like, who's going to take care of our son? We have pets. Who's going to take care of our pets? Packing the bags. Like Anthony definitely held those responsibilities down. The easiest way to explain it is Shreda is the dreamer and I'm the realist. So I always plan for the worst and hope for the best. She hopes for the best, but never plans for the worst. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Very complimentary. Valid. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Uh, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so, it works. Yeah. Um, something I wanted to like go back to is we do hear about um, many people using hypnobirthing, but I, I would like to kind of hear um, from your take, Anthony, how was, um, what did being involved through those classes look like? I mean, we know from the birthing person's perspective, but don't really get to hear much from partners about how, how hypnobirthing supports them as support people. Right. Yeah. And just getting with the language of it. Right. 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 Mm, yeah. Um, to, to kind of start off at the very beginning, uh, when I first heard of, of hypnobirthing and doulas and everything, I had no idea what it was. I, I knew that, you know, obviously it's not my body going and pushing out a human being. So whatever Sharita wanted, I was up for, um, you know, so, she wanted to be drugged up, cool. If she wanted to do all natural, cool. Um, but the more that I learned about it, the more that I realized, holy cow, this, maybe this isn't the right, the best words, but it almost seems to go back to our traditions, our heritage of the natural birth of women surrounding women in the aspect of, you know, it was, I guess it goes back to that old saying is it takes a village to raise a child. And in this case, you're actually getting that because you have that support structure. You can get just uh, so many different people within uh, hypnobirthing, for example, it's all over the world. If you look at, as Shred was saying, the, uh, the water labor itself or the water birth to us Americans, it sounds very unique. And uh, that's, that's something that they do in third world countries. And it's not. They do this all over the world. It's, it was so fascinating um, to, to help uh, realize everything. It was kind of going into almost like a trance where you're focusing on the child that you're about to have and being a support, uh, a, a support partner in that aspect was, it helped calm me down mm. because you always see it in movies or you read it in books where it's like, you know, I need 50 cc's of staline stat and, and, you know, we need 10 gallons of blood. It's not like that. It's, it's very calm. It's, it's a marathon. So to have that hypnobirthing keep you on track, both for Shreya and myself was very beneficial to remember, Hey, it's a marathon. We will get there, but we got to pace ourselves. Yeah. And I think to Anthony's point too, like, you know, one of the things that I loved about hypnobirthing and why I became an educator is because it was so empowering. Like it really empowered us to think about the decisions that we were going to, again, making as parents and like for our child and for myself. And, you know, I think it allowed us to communicate in ways that we had never done before. And so, like Anthony said, he had never heard of like hypnobirthing. I hadn't heard of hypnobirthing before I decided I wanted to do it, right? And so these were like new things, again, the birth doula. And so like we both were going into unknowns. Um, and then like, I feel like finding strength in that just again, made our like, our connection stronger. Um, and, you know, I think to Anthony's point about like this village, our, um, our doula, our birth doula was also a hypnobirthing educator. So she was the person teaching our classes to us and our uh, midwifery um, care provider, they also, I don't want to say believed in, but support hypnobirthing. And so I think when the conditions are right, right, when you have care providers, when you have your doula, when you have a partner, when all of these sort of factors combine and everyone is in line with how you want to birth, then it can be um, very empowering, empowering, excuse me. We also went to a hospital that I knew or had heard was more open to unmedicated births. 
and um, open to hypnobirthing. So those were things, again, that were important to me. And uh, we created conditions to make sure at the very least that they would be supported um, or ideally supported. Uh, and again, uh, you were saying something and it, it reminded me about how I was able to set up the room in the way that I wanted with the lights off. and. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, being able to really get that plan of what you wanted for your birth really helps because whether it be having dim lights, uh, we ended up getting those little uh, battery tea operated tea lights, yeah. uh, playing soft music. We had playlists. Um, that was one, something Anthony did. He made playlists for me. He gathered pictures together for me. So while I was laboring, like I'd be able to, you know, reflect on those I loved and yeah, it was nice. Um, kind of a side note, but for any of the gentlemen listening out there, um, going back to the whole movies and, and books reference, it's not like it was when our dads and grandpas were in the, mm. the were becoming fathers, where you go across the street to the pub and knock a few back while she knocks it out. You're helping by bringing in a life into this world, and doulas, hypnobirthing, all of that really really holds your hand through that process of becoming a dad. There's a lot of changes that go on and hypnobirthing helps her and I, uh, same with the doula. It's just, it's a support tool that you never thought you knew you needed, wanted, or even knew about. Yeah. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, that's why I became a doula. That's why I became an educator. It's, it's so important. It's so empowering. Um, and yeah, and I would also say like when I heard about Anthony's experience, like he talked about, <laughs> you know, holding my leg up, I mean, it's true. And he, he did those things and then listening to his story afterwards and being able to process the birth, uh, together and like our experiences really was um, magical. I don't know, if, you know, that's, that's typical, but um, because Anthony was so involved, you know, throughout the pregnancy, um, I felt like we were able to share those moments afterwards and uh, he could share, you know, his experience and, and the, the smells and all that and, and things that I didn't even realize were happening. You know, he was observing those things um so yeah it's 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 nice being able to share that with your partner um i i love hearing how you know processing it together because while it's an experience that you're having together you're also experiencing it in different ways and so there's um there's a lot that goes on with that and so making sure that after you know baby's here and as you're working through your postpartum, um, speaking on, okay, how, like, what was that like for you? Um, how has that changed you? So I love that um, you brought that up. Um, so can you tell us about your birth? Yes. So as I said, we, or I uh, was scheduled for an induction, um, knowing that definitely, felt like that was the best decision that I made, right, with my care provider going in and getting induced. Um, however, my experience ended up uh, being traumatic for various reasons. So I mentioned earlier, I had also been induced with my first child, our son, and his induction was, his birth was so easy. I literally walked in, got got the induction. Um, and then 11 hours later, literally from start to finish, he was born. So it was, it was so easy. My daughter, on the other hand, was completely different. We get there, you know, they set us up. Um, I can't recall now what the first induction method was. Um, but I can say that they tried every induction method uh, every like Cook's catheter, Pitocin, um, the Foley bowl, or the Cook's catheter is the Foley bowl. Um, the gel. The gel, the, um, I mean, everything. Everything, every induction method at their disposal, they used 
at least once. Sometimes the other, uh, some other methods they use um, more than once if they could, right, based on like the regulations and, and all that good stuff. I even tried to do like natural um, inductions, like nipple stimulation and I got in the tub at some point, like, I mean, everything to try to get our daughter to start labor. Um, and it was not progressing the way that anyone wanted it to, or, um, you know, that we thought. And I think for us, especially like Anthony and I, it was such a shock. Like after day one, I was, I think literally just shocked because it was already so different from my first experience. Um, and that was the other thing too. I think we had set the expectation that we would be back in like a day or two after the birth. So my mom had, had come out, she was taking care of my, our son and, you know, we're like, we'll be back in a couple days, right? Like, this is going to be so easy. I like remember driving to the hospital thinking that like, <laughs> After the first day of nothing happening, it was like, oh my gosh. But I will say, I think part of the um, the issue was at that point, my blood pressure was so high that they started magnesium sulfate, magnesium sulfate. And I honestly think that halted, I mean, any sort of progress that I would have made with the induction methods that they were using. Um, because they, I, you know, I was at risk for a seizure, for a stroke. Um, like it was, it was very serious. Yeah. Um, her, her blood pressure was something along the lines of like 190, 195 over 155. It was extremely high. Um, going back to the, uh, trying the induction, we even tried some things, uh, at home to even kickstart the process. Um, you know, some of the old wives tales will say things like eating an eggplant, uh, lasagna, you try so many different things to, to do the induction, but yeah. ultimately nature takes its course and when it's time, it's time. Yeah. Well, and so, yeah, so nothing was happening was on the, the magnesium because blood pressure was so high. And I was also trying to, you know, hypnobirthing again, I just credit it for giving me the tools to like practice deep relaxation and visualization and those things to really um, like outside of medication to also just help me relax enough to try to bring it down naturally um, and create again that sort of environment in the hospital that I wanted so lights you know being off or dimmed having the tea lights and so I ended up being at the hospital for a total of four days on well what was it five you well, were admitted on sunday and discharged on friday yes but octavia was born on thursday or wednesday she was born on wednesday night at 11 11 p.m so between sunday morning when i got in to wednesday late because she was born late on um on wednesday like 11 11 p.m uh Induction hadn't worked. Eventually, I was able to get my uh, my water broken, and that's what sparked the contractions to deliver her. One of the things that they were doing while I was laboring, and Anthony can speak to this a little bit more, is they had wireless um, monitors on me for the contractions and baby's heart rate. Um, but what I will say is that they were very finicky. They constantly had to shift and move. And, you know, I felt like I was constantly like being adjusted and asking to adjust. And like, you know, they kept losing the heartbeat because like I would like, I don't know, stretch and they, you know, couldn't get it any longer. And so for me, that was really frustrating. Um, like probably one of the biggest frustrations and while this was all happening, I would say like maybe on the second day is when our care providers started using tactics of an intimidation. Um, we were told that uh, we were lucky that our son uh, wasn't born with brain damage because he had shoulder dystocia, which we had never heard 
previously to that. We had never heard that our son had shoulder dystocia like during his delivery. And so we were, sh I was shocked. I mean, we had to look up what shoulder dystocia was because we had no idea what they were even referring to. So here that, you know, our son was at risk of that. Um, it was literally shocking. Um, they kept telling me uh, to prepare for a cesarean section. Um, but because I am a larger woman, I really did not want a cesarean section. And again, just knowing some of the other things that were going on, most mostly the magnesium, I just felt like I wasn't progressing the way that they wanted to because of that, if I'm being 100% honest with you. And so I did not want to have a cesarean section. I refused. They kept asking that. Um, we also had some midwives who were training that I don't know if they didn't read my file or I'm not really quite sure if it, what miscommunication happened, but at some point, at least two of the training midwives asked me if I wanted an epidural or told me that, you know, they were ready to administer the epidural. And I was thinking, nope, I'm having like an unmedicated birth. Like this is not part of the birthing plan. Like let's make sure we're all on the same page. Um, you know, I was told that I, I must be very stressed because you know, I've been in the hospital for days and, um, you know, nothing was happening. And I actually probably was like the most calm I had ever been at, during, like throughout my entire pregnancy, because I knew I was at the hospital. Like if anything were to happen, I was there. So I didn't feel any type of stress or pressure and like the sense of myself, of like delivering my baby, all of the stress and pressure was literally from the care providers pressuring me to deliver this baby. Um, I'm trying to think what other intimidation tactics they, they use, but it was really, um, it was aggressive. It was really unfortunate. Um, I was honestly shocked by it because we had used the, the midwife midwifery practice before, like I said, during uh, the first pregnancy. And so this was a completely different experience. Um, and what, because I was at higher risk, the midwives introduced me to their physician that they had contracted with at the hospital so that he could consult on, right, the cesarean section and um, he was aggressive, like everyone was very aggressive with us and wanting us to do it sort of their way, quote unquote. And um, yeah, I don't know if Anthony wants to speak a little bit about that or more or the wireless <laughs> monitoring. Um, yeah, the, the wireless system was definitely not the best um and as sharita had already pointed out their tactics they were consistently coming in and saying oh well you know we should probably do a c-section since you're only two centimeters dilated and it's like did you read the chart because that was as of eight o'clock this morning and here it is two and she's gone up to four centimeters so why don't you leave the room and go do your damn homework um yeah the the consultant that was brought in he he obviously never had that surgery to remove his head from his ass because he walks in and immediately it's C-section, C-section, you know, the whole soul, shoulder dystocia. Uh, for those at home that don't know, it's essentially where the shoulder gets stuck uh, coming out of the birth canal. And uh, due to that, it can have multiple complications, something as little as a pinched nerve to as something as major as uh, almost a dead arm to put it into light terms where the, the arm will never function properly. Um, but the, so again, I think we were just like very surprised to hear that like our son even suffered from that. Yeah. Um, we were very lucky as, as Shruta had pointed out earlier in this conversation is that her, her mother is a retired high risk obstetrician. Um, essentially, her mother was on the way to the hospital, thankfully, as we were meeting with uh, the outside contractor. So we told him, why don't you give us an hour? Let us think about it. Not playing our cards uh, just yet, but she showed up. We relayed all the info to him and she tore him a new one. So she, she's laying into him about the file of, you know, they don't want a C-section. What medical uh, necessity is there for one? You know, she's definitely progressed since you've been doing this treatment in the last several hours. 
And oh, he changed. Yeah, like within a ten minute conversation with her, he's changed, and he goes, "Well, I guess you don't need a C section. Uh, I'm I'm going to go and step outside and, and meet with a new client." I think he apologized for like maybe not reading the file. He said that he was told those things by the midwife, you know, that he actually hadn't read the file. Yeah, his exact I, words were outdated information. And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, outdated information works for a lot of things, but medical care should not be one of them. So, and so finally, and um, we eventually were able to convince the midwives to perform a cervical check and mind you I've had several cervical checks at that point but felt it was necessary because though this one would hopefully indicate if my water could be broken and during that cervical check it was but Anthony can attest to this cervical checks were extremely painful for me they are extremely painful for me I do not like them I only will do it if it's absolutely necessary. So in this case, it was, had the water broken, my contraction started, had the wireless monitoring devices on me. And um, as I was progressing through um, the labor, we had the lights dimmed, my birth doula was there. We were all like in the zone, right? Like Sharita's in labor, she's like relaxed, like, this baby's going to come, you know, and all of a sudden the lights turn on like bright lights. And I'm like, turn off the lights, lights go off, lights go back on. And they, I don't, I, I, I can't remember the exact right. Like words that were being said, the, the exact commotion. But what I can say is that um, they were going to perform a cervical check on me. I said, no, I said, stop. And the uh, consultant, that the, the physician that was consulted on my case, opened up my legs, held my right leg open while my midwife did a cervical check on me while I was saying no the entire time. After that, because it, ha it actually happened fairly quickly, after that, um, the nurse that was on duty who was supporting us was in the room as well she came over she hugged me she said i'm so sorry that that just happened um you know she asked me about you know how i was if i was okay you know made sure that i was was okay that someone was was going to continue supporting me and then she left the room my doula anthony they were shaken up i will say they definitely were shaken up they were shocked about what had just happened again they were you know comforting me and, and, and we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know why the cervical check was, had happened. Um, I still, to this day, never heard from the, the care physicians, uh, care providers, excuse me, why that check happened. I still do not know. Um, but what I will say is afterwards, Anthony left to compose himself. He went to go speak with his father and he can speak to that conversation, his thought process. Um, he went to go tell my mom what had happened and I stayed in the hospital room with, with our birth doula. And during the, the time of the check, um, I, or after the, after the check, I actually gave birth to our daughter while Anthony um, was processing the traumatic experience. Um, and actually our nurse too missed it. She missed the birth too. What I what we didn't know at the time, she missed it because she actually was re reporting the assault to the chief of obstetrics at the hospital. Um, they have a policy and a protocol, and based on what she had witnessed, they called the police, and a police report was filed subsequently by myself. Uh, I think either the following day or, or two days later, whatever the the time frame was, but. Our, our nurse missed the birth as well because she was following procedure um, and reporting reporting what had just happened. But I will let Anthony talk about his experience and, and, and his processing of the event. Uh, as Sharita had uh, stated before about the Bluetooth with the, uh, the monitors and everything, it would randomly disconnect. Um, it was almost 
uh, a pattern, you would see the heart rate for both her and our child dip low, almost as if there was about to be uh, no heart rate at all. And then you'd lose connection. I mean, by this point, uh, we're going on Wednesday night. We've been there since Sunday. I think she was hooked up to the Bluetooth setup uh, sometime around Monday. So we've got about 40, 48 hours of dealing with this technology that I couldn't even tell you how many times we lost connection and have had to have a nurse come in, whether it was you sleeping, you moving, just, just lying there, it would disconnect. Um, so as Sharita said, the, the lights come on, she tells them to, to turn them off, lights come back on. And at this point it's um, the midwife and the contractor come in and they're like, we need to check your pelvis and, and all this. And it's like, uh, I'm just sitting across from the room on, on the little, what they call a bed couch, um, watching everything. And they go do the procedures. Sharita says, no, stop. The nurse is at the door watching everything. They check it. They mumble to themselves and they immediately leave. No explanation. Um, our doula and the nurse and I all get up and go to Sharita's bed and talk to her. And that's when the nurse says, you know, uh, I'm so sorry and whatnot. Um, our doula has no idea what's going on. And I start looking at the heart rate monitor and, and that's when I see, okay, the heart rate for both of them immediately dipped. It was starting to rebound and that's when they barged in. So they must have seen it on their system and thus the, the worst case scenario. Um, so as Sharita said, after that all occurred, I left the room because it was either, um, I didn't know what to do. I, I really didn't. I was completely out of my element. We wanted to get a second opinion uh, from, from Sharita's mother. Um, and uh, another second opinion that we had occurred um, was when the water broke. We didn't even trust our own physicians at that time. So Sharita's mother uh, uh, had kind of talked to her and helped guide her in regards to what to ask and prepare for that process. So I figured, okay, I'll do the same thing now. And I stepped outside and I left the building because in my eyes, if I was going to stay around, I was either going to say or do something that may have me evicted from the premises. I blew off some steam for a few minutes, calling my father, um, let him know that I needed to call my mother-in-law and started t telling her everything. During that process, our uh, doula ends up calling me and it's 11.08 at night. And at that point, um, I rush in from the parking lot, um, run in, take the elevator, go upstairs. It's 11.11 and I see our beautiful daughter laying on my wife's chest, born. And just a matter of minutes yeah. from when it was, uh, I was told, hey, the baby's coming to the baby's here. So that kind of goes back to the whole marathon thing is that, yeah, it's a long process, but when that process happens, it can be very quick. You never know. But uh, yeah, ultimately because of the assaults, um, there's a lot of, a lot of questions that we'll never have. Uh, the Answer. police were called. Mm. Um, they showed up on Friday to actually talk to us and get a statement. The chief came in. Um, I don't remember if it was before or after the police, but it was around the same time on Friday. We talked to hospital personnel about what had happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the contractor and the midwife were both uh, uh, told not to enter our room under any circumstances. There's an investigation pending. Um, we don't know exactly what occurred with that. Um, at least that I think we can speak of at this time. Well, no, but... I was told. But I was told by hospital personnel that the the midwife and the doctor were both suspended um, from working there for two weeks. That's what I was told. And so, yeah, it's. Yeah, I would say that's one of the biggest takeaways. Like I, you know, I feel like Anthony and I felt so like empowered going in, right? We prepared, like we knew what we wanted. We were, you know, doing hypnobirthing. We had our birth doula, we had a plan. Um, and, you know, that's the thing that I find comfort in, like despite, you know, being 
like assaulted, like I feel like I did everything right. And that is a comfort to me. I did everything right. And although my body was violated, like the people that committed that action, like they have to live with that choice and those decisions, knowing that they violated someone, knowing that they assaulted someone. I have to heal like me personally. Yes. But in a, in a different way. Um, and my grounding is that I did every, I did everything right. I think. Um, and I think that just goes to show you, like you can do everything right and still things can go wrong. You know, there's always something outside of your power. That's true. You know, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I mean, as I said earlier, um, gosh, like an hour ago is, <laughs> is that Sharita, you know, she hopes for the best and doesn't plan for the worst, but I always plan for the worst. And we had those uncomfortable conversations of mm. what to do if, you know, do, should I save Sharita or should I save our child? If it's, you know, you got to save one, who are you going to choose? Um, I had a pen in my pocket ready that I had tested to write with in case I needed to start signing uh, documents for the doctors to be able to perform procedures. Like I had gone through and mentally prepared for all of that. I never in a million years would have pre been prepared, knew how to prepare for, for an assault that happened right in front of me that it's like, these are medical professionals. What the fuck are they doing? Why would they do that? And you don't get answers. Yeah, that's the other thing, like, you know, I would say, um, just to touch a little bit upon like my postpartum, and I can talk about it a little bit more. But one of the things that like sort of my postpartum was dominated by was reports, I had, you know, requested all of our health reports, all of their records, which was hard to get. It's not easy. They don't make it easy. I just want to say that your records, they do not make it easy and getting, I mean, I was at the hospital, I was visiting the hospital with my newborn, <laughs> like I was, you know, calling, I was doing all these things. I was reading, uh, I think the report, all of my paperwork ended up being something like 700 and something pages, 700 plus pages of notes and all that stuff. And I was going through it because I, I wanted to know what had happened. Why did this happen? Right. Again, I did everything right. And so what, what, what were the factors that led into like this, this happening? What were the doctors thinking? What were they um, like, why was this a decision that they made that they felt like they needed to do despite my, um, my protest. Um, and so uh, I, I don't, yeah, I, I feel like, especially maybe the first month of my postpartum, it was very much dominated by um, like, how can I file a complaint? What, what's in my records? Um, where is this shoulder dystocia, right? That they had mentioned for my first pregnancy. What does this mean? Why is this date incorrect? I remember there was like this weird discrepancy with um, our son's birth and I can't exactly recall it, but like the dates were off. Like it was a very strange sort of um, record in his, uh, in his file. And, you know, that stuck out to me. And I'm like, this is not even right, you know? And so I'm like, who's keeping these things? And um, like, can I, you know, you can file, uh, what do they call it, an adjustment. But again, it's this whole procedure and then you have to do it. And mind you, I'm still postpartum, right? I'm not 100%. I'm sleep deprived. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, even though my mom, were, my mom, you know, my husband are helping me, you are still sleep deprived as a new mom. Um, and so all of those things, uh, dealing with high blood pressure, I still had my high blood pressure after, you know, I had delivered my child. And so there were just a lot of factors in, in that and um, a lot of things that I personally was dealing with following her, her birth. Yeah. We even found out that for both uh, births, um, the, the records and the notes for the, uh, the midwives were different than the hospital. Things mm. along the lines of like uh, our son's shoulder dystocia is that one with the hospital um, they had never recorded it. They, for them, it was a non-issue. There was never any concern. But for the midwives, they were like, oh, this, this is pretty serious. We've got to document this. And it's like, 
It's uh, actually, it was the opposite. Okay, it was the opposite. But yeah. I, I mean, I apologize if I'm not getting the facts 100% straight. If but he's right. I mean, that was the other thing, too. It was odd because it was like the hospital had all this information and the midwives had like another set of information i mean i really felt like i was like having to piece it together you know then someone told me oh well you know the midwife group uses the hospital notes i mean it was like you keep hearing different things <laughs> like mm -hmm. again and it's like why as me as the patient am i having to like try to make sense of this like it should be i i personally feel like very straightforward it shouldn't have to be a puzzle or um like you know, a puzzle to put together a health record. I just, I don't uh, understand that. And um, I definitely learned a lot about how records are kept here. Again, I looked up, you know, how to file medical complaints and, uh, you know, found out some information on the, the contracted doctor and, you know, his medical history and things of that nature. Um, and one of my recommendations, I would say like one of the pieces of advice that I mentioned is when you're with your care provider, ask them if they contract with anyone. Is there anyone that they contract with that you haven't met? Ask for their names, look up their information. What is their record? I wish I had done that because I think if I had known a little bit about him, I would have said no, that I would not wanna work with that person. Just to talk a little bit more about my my uh, postpartum again, you know, there were so many things I was dealing with and dealing with the, the, the traumatic experience. It was hard. It was very, very hard. Um, just looking back on it and reflecting, um, I was anxious. I remember at one point while I was dealing with everything, I went back to work three months later, right after taking um the family leave and anthony literally saying to me like sharita you need to go to therapy and process what happened to you because it's impacting you right now like i can tell like the way that you're operating it's not right normal for you and like we you need to get some help so that you're not feeling this way anymore um and i appreciated him telling me that because uh, I think when you're in it, it makes sense to you. Like I felt, you know, I felt like my, my, my behavior was like justified, you know, whatever I was doing, like, you know, throwing myself or complaining. I mean, it was, everything was like a battle for me. Um, and it felt like it was justified. And so I, I thank him for like recognizing like, this is not sure, you know, like you need to get some help. And I did, and it did help. Um, and I continued taking like the high blood pressure meds. I mean, there was, there was a road to recovery and, you know, I wasn't even able to share my story. Most of my family didn't even know what had happened during the birth um, until a year later. I was not able to share what had happened. There was there was shame. There was, you know, like, how do you let this happen? I think a lot of people also struggle. Like there were other people in the room. Like, I, I think they, it's very hard for them to understand, like, how does that happen with your doula there, with your husband, with your nurse there, you know, and it happened so fast. Mm -hmm. It happened so fast. Um, yeah. How was your bonding experience with your daughter after mm -hmm this experience for you? How was it different from the previous birth? And how was it just like, not what you thought it would be in general, even if you didn't have another birth to compare it to? Yeah, that's a great question. I actually think overall, like, and maybe Anthony can speak a little bit about it as like someone observing the relationship. I personally don't think it was any different. I breastfed both my children. They both stayed in our rooms like none of the actual um plans changed what i will say was different and what i needed to reconcile is linking the two events so the birth of my daughter which is like such a joyous right joyous event and her like completing our family and then also it being the day that i was assaulted um, is a very strange thing. And so I would say 
at least for the first six months after I, I would always like link the two events. Like I couldn't think of one without the other. Like I could not look at our daughter without like remembering being assaulted. Um, and, and then that was the other thing too. Like she brought me such joy, but then I think about the assault. And so it's like such a weird thing on your like soul, on your emotions to have that play out. Um, and it was so hard for me. And I think that's also why like therapy was so great was just to like think about and like separate the two events. And um, yeah, I would say like even now just talking about it, like it really upsets me because I'm like, like her first birthday was like, oh, it was the, you know, one year after the assault you know, and I don't know how long I'm going to do that for, but it's, it's a weird thing. It's yeah. a very tainted, happy memory. This is actually the first time that I've really talked in depth about it and the events that occurred. Um, for the, the bonding experience, for me, I didn't notice anything. Everything was, was the same as it had been with our son. Um, it's a new child. Okay. Get back into the rhythm of not sleeping at night, changing dirty diapers. Okay, cool. But watching the bond between Sharita and our daughter was definitely different than Sharita and our son. Um, watching her go through the process again, there were some hiccups. And that's why I recommended therapy is I thought at first maybe it was postpartum depression that, you know, maybe she's just got a mild case of it. Um, maybe it's just, she's just trying to process everything of, of being a mother to two children. I couldn't quite pinpoint my finger on it. And I didn't, I didn't feel I had enough evidence to go to her and say, Hey, here's the last couple of weeks as well as the last few months where your, your mental health is deteriorating at an alarming rate, uh, alarming rate to the point that, you know, either you go and see a psychiatrist, therapist, whomever you'd like to see, or, um, or go, go stay with your family for a week and just recoup and I'll watch the kids. Like she, she definitely needed that, but, um, it's, it's not an easy process to just, you know, go from the birth and then like two days later, see a, a, a major change. It's, it's definitely a gradual shift. What did you see? I'm curious. You had everything from trying to do something simple of just like holding your hand. I would notice a slight flinch mm. and you wanting to pull away. Um, watching you with our daughter, you would, you had an anger to you whenever she just wanted to be fed. There, there were things where, you know, with, with Logan, it was, you're almost happy to get up at two, three in the morning. Um, but with our daughter, it was, uh, yeah, I'll change your diaper, I'll feed her. And it was completely different. But like, at the end of the day, your, your demeanor, you weren't as funny. Mm. Little things that you were, you would say went from, Oh, that's funny. You're hilarious to, Oh my God, that's so stupid. But you were laughing and it's, it's the little things that being with you for what is it? Uh, it's 11 years this month. So when you change quickly, I notice it. It's not, you know, it's something that you definitely notice. I definitely appreciated him looking out for me. Cause yeah, I mean, I, I definitely did not realize, you know, he picked up on those differences. I did not, but again, I was right living this experience. Um, yeah. And it was a lot of healing. Mm -hmm. I know. The impact quick event had and still has like, that's just really outlined in your story. Um, it's profound yeah, yeah it's amazing like I it mean, is it and you know listening to you both um you know like how prepared you were and how empowered you went into that experience and you know um like you said anthony you're always preparing for the worst so you're thinking about all the worst but being assaulted by your care provider is not something that 
you prepare for or should need to prepare for. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's the scary thing. Like, you know, when I told my story uh, a few months ago, when I first started sharing it, um, people like saying like, oh my gosh, that happened to me. Oh my gosh, I was assaulted. I was verbally assaulted. I was, phys- I'm like, I was shocked. I was literally shocked. I don't know if it's because people don't talk about it or it gets swept under the rug. I mean, that's what I was, you know, that's, you know, I, I sort of alluded to earlier, but it's very hard to, um, we filed a criminal complaint. Charges were not um, pursued. Uh, there was an internal review that was a uh, verbal <laughs> internal review that was done on the care providers. Uh, so there's no record. There's no written record <laughs> of the review of the incident. I mean, it's just, it, they make it very hard uh, if you want to pursue or do anything. And so I think oftentimes people are bullied into silence. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we also normalize it. I don't know. Maybe people feel like it's just, you know, that's what happens during birth. And, you know, they, they don't even realize that it's something that, you know, I felt like it, it shouldn't have happened. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really shocking to hear people say, yeah, me too. Or I stand with you. Um, yeah, I, and thankfully I haven't had anyone not believe me. Right. Everyone has believed my story. I think it was also very shocking for me when the detective came back and said, basically, in the process of medical care, a doctor can do mm-hmm. whatever and get away with it. And it's like, mm-hmm. wait a second, you know? So Anthony's referring to while, you know, right, I was, while they were doing the investigation, they told me why they weren't pursuing the case in the state of Arizona. Um, if it is deemed medically necessary, and it's cr- in- incredible that there is a law <laughs> for this, um, they are protected. The doctors are able to do that. They were able to perform a cervical check, assault me, uh, despite my protests, because they deemed a medical emergency. And again, what that exact medical emergency is I don't know. It has never been told to me. I don't know. One of the things that I did not look into because at that point I knew that I wasn't going to get sort of right criminal resolution. I'm not exactly sure how the the um, statue is written. Right, if it has they have they can just say a medical emergency or if they need to be more specific. But I know in my case I do not know what that medical emergency was. I'm thinking about. Um... And I was thinking about this when you first told the part about being told to do something at home and then coming back to the care provider and them not listening. And there's this, um, uh, I'm a, my, my background is special education, but in the special education realm, we, when we work with families, we really focus on a lot of the work at home. And we always tell our families, mm-hmm. we're with your kids for eight hours. You're with them every single day all like for those like we only get eight hours that's right, it. <laughs> right. there's just that little window and so there's so much more going on that we're not seeing that's impacting how they show up at school and so i just i think my thought is always like why can't we see care in that same way you know your body what's happening at home sometimes isn't going to manifest the same way it does when you walk in this office. So I need to understand what you look like outside of this. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. And like I said, once they denied, you know, that ultrasound, I was like, it just, it wasn't gonna, it wasn't the right fit because we were really concerned about my health and the health of my child, you know? So yeah, that day, literally, where they said I wasn't going to get an ult- the, the BPP, I, I called and switched providers. Is there anything else that you want to share with listeners, whether that be resources, advice, anything else from your birth? Yeah, I think, you know, Anthony and I just wanted to say that um, you can find comfort and strength in, like, sharing your story if you're at that point. Um, like, you know, we found solidarity and strength in telling our story and like, 
again, the ability to even process it together um, was, was helpful to us. And, you know, that's why we, we are, are in the birth, birthing industry because things need to change. And um, I think I come from the perspective of like, I, I never judge anyone in their choices um, or like the outcomes that come of it because I think everyone, right, has like good intentions when they make decisions for their family and for themselves, just like we did. And even if something bad came about it, like I, again, I feel good about my role in it and my role as a parent and my role in trying to take care of my children and myself. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to share? Uh, I would say that, um, especially, you know, Sharita previously telling this story and hearing so many people speak up about it, no matter what it is, whether it's medically or non-medically, that has occurred to you, you're not alone. Mm. So there's always support groups. There's always resources out there. You know, start with uh, family and friends and branch out, you know, whether it be therapy, support groups, whatever. There's, you're not alone. You're never going to be alone in something like that, sadly. Um, but you can, you can get help. Yes, there is help. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us and the ability to uh, share our story with you and, and your audience and giving really all, all these women the platform to speak their truths. Um, it is so empowering. Yes. For, yeah. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here and, and uh, speaking with us. Yes. Yes. We are just, we're extremely grateful that people find us and are in places to share, um, not only for themselves, cause like you both have said, your own healing, but also for others to know, like you said, Anthony, they're not alone. Um, they have community. They are supported. Um, so, yes. Thank Thanks you for listening both. to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 